Hello fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Come on, Ellie, we're going to go on the porch. Come on. There she is. There she is. This is Mary Stone and Ellie speaking to you from the screen porch where we finished our morning walk and she was perky perky this morning. I'm grateful for that because yesterday and the day before she was kind of dragging a bit. So always a nice day when she's perky. Anyway, I want to reflect on a column that I wrote a few years back, which was inspired by a visit of Elizabeth Gilbert and how I heard about Elizabeth Gilbert coming to visit the Warren County Community College in Washington, New Jersey, was I was plugged into her podcast called Magic Lessons. And it was at a time where I first had started thinking about having a podcast and dreaming about it and having a lot of fear about it. And I came across Elizabeth Gilbert's book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And an offshoot of that was her podcast, which I guess ran for two seasons, and it's really fun to plug into. I wish it was ongoing. By the way, creativity isn't only about creating art. It's about daily living in a creative way. And uh, so those of you that don't think you're creative, you are creative, because we can just choose to live in a way of spontaneity. An example of this is a friend of mine posted on Facebook a drawing in her quilt or her comforter that was made of a fleece, you know, that has the pile that you can brush a certain way. And she made this flower, which of course is temporary, but very beautiful way to just, you know, have some inspiration of art, no matter what your ability is to draw. So that's just an example. So anyway, I tracked down Elizabeth Gilbert, found out she was going to be speaking at the Warren County Community College. I reached out to the curator of the program, B.J. Ward, who invited me to interview him in person rather than just by phone, which was very kind of him, because I was asked to uh, prepare an announcement in the press about Elizabeth Gilbert's upcoming visit. The press, by the way, is the newspaper I've been writing for for almost eight years, which is hard to imagine. (laughs) But anyway, as it turns out, it's the first I had heard about authors visiting there. It's called the Authors Series, and uh, didn't know until then that uh, they have a creative writing program, which later on I plugged into taking a few classes, so it was really neat. And um, before I did the interview with B.J. Ward, I was starstruck to realize that he actually wrote a poem called New Jersey. I'm pretty sure that's the title. And it's a very funny poem about groundhogs and the fact that they're sort of the, uh, you know, icon of New Jersey. It's really very funny. So um, I had a wonderful interview with him. I did attend the um, speaking engagement. And as it turned out, a column came of it. So I'm going to share that. Hello, fellow readers. I believe all of us can live creatively however we choose to express it. But along with creativity comes vulnerability. Certainly, there's something intimate about sharing one's creative self. But creativity in the garden offers a safe space, a forgiving place to dabble as we grow and learn that outcomes are not truly in our control. Yes, we choose plants based on their attributes we find appealing, that fit our cultural environments, such as planting zone, light, and soil pH. Like any artist, we create a palette of colors and textures. 
We plan carefully for a sequence of blooms, an assortment of foliage, and plant heights for a pleasing year-round display. Hopefully we serve as stewards of the environment and provide a place for pollinators and other wildlife. Even so, there are always variables. We frustrate over Bambi, Peter Rabbit, and relatives of Punxsutawney Phil, you know, that groundhog, whose prediction for six more weeks of winter has technically ended. Yet there's tons of snow covering spring bulbs that sprouted early due to warm days soon after the legendary groundhog saw his shadow. So a side note on this, when I was first thinking about a podcast version of the Garden Dilemmas column, I took a class on podcast production, and I bought a nifty little mic that attaches to my iPhone. It kind of looks like a clown nose. It's so very cute. And then I began making recordings, and I was doing it as I was going along, and I was trying to edit, and it was very interesting and challenging and fun. But I proceeded, you know, with some procrastination, frankly, because it was overwhelming to me, and I was very afraid of it, I guess, truthfully. Afraid of, um, you know, sounding braggadocious, afraid of, I don't know, all the things that happen when you put your creativity out there. So when I stumbled upon Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear, it really spoke to me and it inspired me and helped me to overcome some of those fears. Anyway, I'd like to share some of those early clips with you. One is during a big blizzard and the next is just a few days later when I was chasing the last of the melting snow. So here we go. Yes, I'm recording. I think I can put the mic a little further away from my voice. We are sitting here with maybe 18 inches and it's still snowing. I had a a cover on the chair I'm sitting on, so I was glad for that because it's snowed on, and so I do have a dry spot for the moment. And I'm enjoying the beautiful snowy view of the yard and all of nature's miracles that in itself, to me, show more creativity than anything is the creativity of Mother Nature and uh, all that that means. So let me get out there and shovel some snow, and uh, I will imagine that on Sunday, just, gosh, three days ago, I was cross-country skiing up at Blue Mountain Lake here in New Jersey, which is part of the uh, Appalachian Trail area. There was enough snow left from that big dump, (laughs) and I chased it. And I have to say, there was probably six inches in a lot of the spots. There was some bare spots, too, but that's what rock skis are for. And I went by myself, I should say, not by myself, I went with Ellie, but just me as the only human. And I have to say, as I've gotten older, skiing by myself, especially a place where there's no cell signal, has gotten to be more intimidating, which I find rather annoying. And so I brushed fear aside and just decided to indulge. I have to say, I was proud of myself but I did have some (laughs) willy-nillies. But uh, I just embraced the solitude and felt, even though I was alone in the woods, that I wasn't really alone. (laughs) As I was listening to the recordings, um, it was fun to reflect back on the huge blizzard that we had in that March of 2017, because it just kind of gives me into the, you know, feeling of snow, even though we're not going to have any more snow this winter. But that's okay, spring is in the horizon. I'm loving hearing some of the bird noises, even though I'm sad that we're not gonna have any more snow this year. But it's happy to hear the sounds of an early spring springing, which in itself is something glorious and magical to think about. 
So getting back to my column, which, by the way, is titled Garden Magic, and you can, of course, view it on GardenDilemmas.com. Thankfully, plants are resilient. They will adjust, and we, as garden artists and dig-in-the-dirt enthusiasts, sit patiently, contemplating what will come of the early sprouts. It's the preamble of a new beginning, a new season, and art in the garden has a mind of its own just as creativity allows a space for surprises and mistakes which become lessons, life lessons for those willing to listen. The magic begins with letting go and allowing the gift of what grows in the world around us just be. One of the books that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote is one of my favorites. It's a novel that not many know about because she's known for so many other famous ones, but this one she received recognition of as well, and it's called The Signature of All Things. And it features a 19th century woman botanist named Alma Whitaker, who delves into the study of moss. And I also learned as I was researching Elizabeth that she is an avid gardener. I wonder if she ever created terrariums with moss and little sticks and stones, too. <laughs> I wonder if we share that in common. I bet many of us do. So this little excerpt is on the bottom of the column called Garden Magic on GardenDilemmas.com. And along with that little excerpt is a photograph, as you would guess, and below it is the description of the photograph. As the crow flies, this magical landscape of moss appears like a forest of trees nestled atop a rock ledge. The lichen are the pools of water with the clouds of snow above. I hope you enjoyed this column, and I'm going to proceed forward with a more recent column about moss. So, as you can see, I am a big fan of it. So in the column titled Magnificent Moss, I actually reflect on the episode 10 podcast, Beauty in Dreariness and Furry Invaders. So I won't um, talk so much about that because you can bounce back to the episode. But um, one of the things I, I did mention is some of the beautiful things you see even without a frosting of snow. It's a time to marvel over hidden treasures we don't notice when the world is green like statuesque trunks of shagbark hickory with their gray peeling trunks and wispy white paper birch with dark cracks that look like faces or the salmon-colored peeling bark of river birch, more popular now as they are less prone to diseases and borers. Speaking of faces, I often see sculptures among the riches of nature. Last week I came across a mossy rock, the velvety green swaths clinging on the rock looked like a hippopotamus. I snagged a photo and sent it to my brother Rick, who lives in Tennessee. Rick has a stuffed hippo from childhood, thanks to a restoration long ago. The threadbare fellow once lived in a box with a t-shirt wrapped around his belly to keep the stuffing from falling out. Henry landed in the trash when Rick was heading off to college. I saved him from his fate, stitching a new bottom in fabric to complement his orange fur. Then I snuck him in Rick's luggage so it would be a surprise. We see him! Turn this way! Rick wrote back, sending a side-view picture of Henry the Hippo. About Magnificent Moss is a subtitle on the column. Moss lives on a variety of hosts, but it's not parasitic, meaning it doesn't feed off of them. Mats or clumps thrive on trees, rocks, and along the ground in shady, damp spots. Some species can tolerate full sun, and months of dryness coming back to life in literally a day. 
by the way, I have a rock garden in the back, and in the summer months, it just bakes. Super sun, heat, dryness, and the moss is just, you know, disintegrated into this brown mat of nothingness. And after one day of rain, it's just amazing to see this plant come to life. It really stuns me. Moss is a non-vascular plant, which means it lacks transport systems, such as xylems and phloems, which move water and nutrients from roots to stems and leaves. They are herbaceous plants, which means they're non-woody, absorbing nutrients and water by way of their leaves. They don't have flowers or seeds, and they multiply by spores, which is magical. And they are ancient. Moss dates back to 251 to 299 million years ago based on the discovery of fossils found in Antarctica and Russia. And they likely date back even further than that as I was doing my research because there's been some other pieces, parts found in fossils. But because of their soft nature, older fossil remnants aren't scientifically confirmed. Moss is also used on green roofs because they require far less planting medium and therefore less weight load on the roof compared to rooted plants. They can absorb as much as 20 times their weight in water, yet tolerate drought. And the fuzzy plant provides insulation. So there you go, Kurt. The moss on our roof is a good thing, and we have a lot of it. <laughs> Which helps when I harvest the rainwater I was telling you about previously, because that brings good nutrients to the water. Turf buffs consider moss a weed. Moss lovers consider it a carefree lawn alternative needing no mowing or fertilizing. And moss is the mainstay in Asian gardens representing calmness. Green is proven to be emotionally soothing, releasing stress, and encouraging healing. Being green is good. Being adorable and fuzzy, a bonus. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com so see that, even if it takes a few years to launch a dream, it is possible. I am still looking to encourage more to find this podcast, and I appreciate if you could share with others so that more can become part of our community, and of course subscribe so that it magically appears in your feed. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Signing off from the screened porch. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day. <laughs>